Hello, welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. This is Coulter Nuanas. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Big Sky Breakdown, presented proudly by Blackfoot Communications. Got two Big Sky Breakdowns this week. Be sure to check out the other one, all about basketball. In this one, we're talking all college football. Specifically, we're talking all Montana State and the head coaching opening. We're from Ty Gregorak, who joined me for two hours on Nuanez now on February 1st, including the second hour, all about the head coaching opening at Montana State and his thoughts on Jeff Choate's departure from Texas. Ty worked for Jeff Choate at Montana State for three years and then has been working in private business since then. We'll also hear from Brooks Nuanez, breaking down the departure, the surprise of it all, or maybe lack thereof. And uh, where does Montana State turn from here? Expecting an announcement here pretty soon. And uh, by the time you get around to listening to this, maybe it might have already happened. But we hope you still enjoy the insight of what the head coaching opening means at Montana State and what we think in terms of the ideal characteristics of the head coach to fill it. Big Sky Breakdown, presented by Blackfoot Communications. SkylineSportsMT.com. Thanks so much for listening. Change is constant, and nowhere is this truer than with your company's network and network security. With an intelligent SD-WAN solution from Blackfoot Communications, you have a scalable network that quickly connects remote offices and protects your business from downtime. SD-WAN from Blackfoot. For more information, visit BlackfootBusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. Ty, this news broke uh, two Fridays ago, right as I was about to get off the air here, and it was kind of a whirlwind. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And all of a sudden, Jeff Cho, who had been a finalist for Boise State for the head coaching job there, was on his way not to Boise State, but to Austin, Texas, to join Steve Sarkeesian's staff at the University of Texas as the co-defensive coordinator and inside linebackers coach. I have a whole bunch of questions for you, but you're a guy that worked for Jeff Joe for three seasons at Montana State, and you've been around Big Sky Conference football uh, for the better part of the 21st century. Your reaction when you first heard that Choate was on the way out? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, it's, there's a lot of different ways you can answer that. I was surprised only because... The you know the Boise State deal was you know that, that was going to go was to fresh Andy, yeah, it was going to go to yep. Andy Avalos, Avalos. Yep. and so I felt like okay he he the fact that his name was in the mix that's what a compliment that, that his name was in the mix for that job you're looking for sure. at probably the best or one of the best group of five football jobs in the country no question and, and probably one, probably one of the top five jobs in the Western United States at this moment in time yeah. right yeah I mean I, you know other in terms of program stability it's probably behind oh. right now. Oregon, Washington, Utah, and that's about it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, they've built themselves into a fantastic program, and each coach has put their own spin. Obviously, you know, Chris Peterson kind of took it to that whole new level sure. of, of just craziness. So the fact that his name was in the mix on that, I mean, it's probably a compliment to Chris Peterson, who you know, Coach Choate had worked for, no question. Um, but a, compl- a compliment to to uh, Coach Choate, and and um, so him not getting that job and then that you know i just can't imagine being on the coaching staff and and uh, okay we're good right coach because because even if coach gets that job probably not every guy gets to go no right right and so if you're on the coaching staff you're going okay we're we're good for a little bit longer we're here in bozeman and and then the new news you're sitting there going oh boy um okay i mean i 
I get it because I just I kind of see the way NFL ball, college ball, it's kind of the same. Who who's getting these jobs? Hot coordinators, yep. co- co- assistant coaches from big time programs, right? And you know, so I don't I don't know if I I, I was surprised, but also not if that makes sense. It I, does. I, you know, I listen to your show, and you you used a term last week uh, describing Coach Chote in, in your interactions with him, what you saw over the last four and a half years, five years, and you used the term restless. Yep. And um, you know, if you just look at if you just look at um, his resume, you know, I mean, I think his longest his longest stint was Boise. But he even switched positions at Boise. Sure. Running back, linebacker. Yep. Six years at Boise, three on the offensive side, three on the defensive side. Yep. Um, but, then, but then after that, you just go, okay, whoa, Washington State for a year. One, right? One year. Yep. Mike Leach's first year. Yep. Then he goes to UTEP. He's there for, for half a year. He's there for spring ball. Spring ball. Then he goes to Florida. Yep. Then he leaves Florida and comes to Washington. Washington for three seasons? Is it, uh, two th- seasons. Two seasons. Two. Yep. Gets, gets the head coaching job. And, you know, it's... It, what I thought, because of things that he had said, like I think I distinctly remember him saying, I, I had made all those moves to get this position, to become a head coach. His wife is from Dillon, Montana. Right. He's from St. Mary's, Idaho. They're at home, I guess, is what I would, right. would say. Or they wanted to make a home in Bozeman, Montana. And, and so I just, for me, honestly, I just feel for those the, the, those coaches, and it's not just 10 families. I mean, it, he's got support staff. He's, you know, there's a lot of different roles that there's a lot of uncertainty in their worlds right now. And I feel for those guys. I feel for the, you know, the hundred players that, you know, that um, came to Montana State. And I mean, trust me, I'm an old coach. I'm an old football player. I, I was lucky to be pretty heavily recruited. And, you know, I, I remember, I don't remember which coach it was, um, but, but he's, I think multiple coaches said this. Don't choose a program because of the coach. Right. You choose a program because of the guys that you meet and, and think you think you can gel with and be a part of uh, hopefully a great tradition, sure. a great uh, academic institution that jives with what you think you want to do, even though most kids change it anyway, and what you think you want to do and, and end up doing. Um, so, you know, it's I, I just... I don't know. I, I, I worry because I, I, you know, there's guys that um, that I have uh, a lot of respect for on that staff that, you know, ho- hopefully will be unemployed, but there's a lot of uncertainty right now, you know, and I, I just, it, it's an interesting, definitely interesting for sure, because I thought that he was going to use this job and hopefully build it in a way to, to get another head coaching job in which he could bring a good chunk of his staff. Right. And he, he left on his own and... There's there's dudes kind of hanging out there right, with, with you know they don't know what the heck's going to happen here in the next whenever in a week two weeks however long it takes. Nuan is now one of two ninety ESPN Missoula statewide SWX Montana Television. Ty Gergerak in studio with me, Coulter Nuanas and two points there. Ty one, I, I do think that um, th- both Montana schools have uh, the unusual fortune of having a great deal many players on their rosters that do go to play there no matter what. And they might really like the coach. They might be really happy about the head coach that's there. But there's a lot of kids at both programs that they wanted to be Grizzlies and they wanted to be Bobcats yes. no matter what. Yes. I, mean, I remember Josh Sandry told, telling me that. He said, you know, when I first committed to Montana, I didn't care. I wanted, I've been a Grizz fan my whole life. I want to be a Grizz. Yep. And I was going to ride it out. And then when Bobby Howe came back, I was so happy because I got to play for Coach Howe and blah, 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 blah. But 
you know, I think that there's a lot of kids on Montana State that are committed to the program. And so you wonder, I mean, you, you worked for Coach Choate. One of the things he sold to the players big time was it's about the name on the front. It's a player's program. It's not about the coaches. It's about the players. And I think there's a lot of guys that are bought into that. So that's a good thing. But from the actual staff search, and that's what I've been dedicating all my time to, SkylineSportsMT.com. You can go check out my list of all the candidates. I've had it as private content for a while now, basically because everybody's been poaching my info, everybody in the industry. This is not me going at you, but it is. Uh, do your own work. But regardless, the uh, I might make the list free here in a minute. And uh, if, you, if it is, come on. Come on. Come one. Come all. But from an actual coaching search standpoint, Ty, I've never covered I've covered a lot of coaching searches in the state of Montana for a lot of different sports at the two schools. I've never covered a search like this because of this exact factor. It's either been when guys did not have their contracts renewed and or were f- straight up fired. Okay, so now you have a staff that was th- po- at least at least somewhat complicit in in the dismissal or you have a coach that's moving on to a job in the FBS where like when you guys were at Montana, Bobby Howe gets the job at UNLV, a lot of the guys from the staff have an opportunity to go with him. Now you have this staff of assistant coaches, two of whom have never coached a game at Montana State because right. they were hired coming out of 2019. Well, half the staff is in their first or second year. That's right? exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, it's just B.J., Coach Armstrong. B.J. Robertson, Brian Armstrong. And, and Byron Hout. And Byron Hout are the three guys that have been there for the duration of Jeff Schott. Right. But regardless, there's two guys, Justin Udy and, and Jimmy Beal, that weren't on the staff that went to the semifinals, but there's a bunch of guys that were, and that's where this is such a, a precarious situation because it would just be a really, it's a really tough spot to be in as an institution, as an athletic department, and as a football program to have guys on your staff that contributed to the greatest run, at least on paper, in your school's uh, modern history since 1984, and now those guys, there's a potential that they're kind of out. That I mean, yeah. it, it would be a really tough deal for guys that, especially guys like Bobby Daly, where this is his alma mater, and he worked and grinded coaching at Bozeman High School, being an ops guy at Idaho. I mean, Bobby's Bobby's a friend of mine, so I know the grind that he went through. But you know, to get the job at your alma mater and then have a job and do a good job and then right. be sitting here wondering, well, what's going to happen next? It just it just seems like such a, an interesting situation. I can't remember another search that's like this. It is definitely unique. I mean, unique is one of the only words I can come up with right now. It, it, it is a unique, especially February. Um, you know, the timing is, is is interesting. I mean, I remember uh, a year ago, it was February. It was like right after signing day when Mel Tucker left Colorado to go right. to Michigan State. You know, and you're just sitting there going, whoa. I mean, it, and, and you kind of thought this guy was going to get it rolling again. And, it is a unique search. Um, I mean, I, again, I, I listen to your stuff. I read your stuff. I mean, it, the candidates, I mean, I, obviously the only ones that really know them are probably sure. Leon and, and Waded. And, and, and the 17 uh, people on the search committee. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> play, yeah, players. Yeah, going back to basketball hour, uh, I think Trish, Trish Bifford's on the committee. <laughs> she is. Um, great week for her. She gets to sweep the Lady Grizz and then uh, yeah. go, go back in and, and contribute to the coaching search. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a unique uh, situation for everyone involved in, in, in Montana State football right now. And, you know, it's I, I, I liked it was you or Riley Cochran's comment last week about how, you know, Coach Ash did a lot of good things. I mean, For he sure. wasn't he the winningest coach at MSU? Won 70 games. Uh, you know, it surpassed Sonny Holland by almost 25 wins. And then it dipped, right? It he, did. It dipped, and obviously he was not renewed, or however you want to sure. you you word it. And one of you guys said, 
uh, Coach Choate kind of brought football back to being kind of equal to what's happening at the school the, right now. The institutional momentum, which is almost unparalleled in the Northwest United States. Right. right I mean, the, the MSU, I mean, Wadid Cruzado is, is one heck of a, a woman. I mean, she, oh, buddy. And, and we, she, we will remember her. In such like twenty years from now, when we're sitting around yeah. BS, what she's done, what, she's what done she did, for the community. I mean, yeah. she fundamentally changed School. the entire state of Montana. Right. So you know, one of you guys made the comment like they they had to get back to the level of which the school. Uh, is at, and frankly, the town, if you want the truth. I mean, any, anyone who's been in Bozeman recently, you're like, oh my gosh, this place is busting at the seams. I mean, it is kind of like an it spot in the West right now and, and a desirable spot. I mean, I, I have neighbors from Seattle and the Bay and California, and they're buying houses sight unseen, <laughs> sight unseen. to be in Bozeman, Montana. Yep. And that's what's going on there. And so he definitely... You know, in terms of the word culture is used so much. The, sure. Know, the culture probably, de- I don't know if it, it needed an overhaul, but it definitely needed an adjustment from, sure. from those last couple few years. Um, Ooh, I, I want to I stick on that for a second sure. because I do think that culture, first of all, is important within sports organizations of any sort, but also has become a buzzword that's maybe overused yeah. within the business. Yeah. And a lot of times when coaches are trying to sell their vision, sell their um, their own selves, all those things, they use the words like culture. To me, and I used to talk with Jason McIndoo about this, Jason, Jason McIndoo, longtime offensive line coach from Montana State, he said that the two most, uh, the, the two things you have to avoid as a program more than anything are complacency and entitlement. You have to stay hungry. I think that was one of the most impressive parts about Bobby Houck's run the first time at Montana. He takes over a team that had played for a national championship game and won a national championship right before he took over, yeah. and he continued to elevate the level of play by keeping the players, the coaches, and everybody involved in the organization hungry at all times, right? So uh, that's where Montana State, as someone that was in on the ground floor, Rob Ash had a lot of strengths. He had a lot of weaknesses. Uh, but he he gave us more access than any coach I've ever been around. Sure. And so being in on the ground floor and seeing it the way that we saw it, I can absolutely tell you that complacency and entitlement infiltrated that program, and it ate it alive quickly. Yeah. They went from three straight Big Sky titles to then 2013, which was supposed to be a banner year that then was riddled by injuries, but that's something that you can't really control. When Daenerys McGee, Cody Kirk, yeah. Tanner Bluskin, and Brad Daly, four All-Americans, all get hurt, it's going to be tough sledding for you. But then 2014, they get back on track. They're running Tim Cramsey's offense. They're lighting up the scoreboard. But then the complacency definitely crept in, and it all fell apart. And it fell apart in a big way in 2015. Well, the defense really started to struggle. I mean, big time. They, they, you know, they'd be in 52 to 50 games. Like, right. Like you'd sit and as as an opponent, you're sitting there watching these games. You're like, oh my gosh, what what was the over under on this thing? Because there's going to be a hundred and some points scored in this game. No question. And you know, and and then so so they. You know, and, I, and I liked Coach Ash. I mean, he was always nice to me. I mean, we, we always had a good relationship with those guys. And, and uh, you, you know, so then they bring in a defensive-minded coach sure. to, kind of, to kind of change that culture. And yep. I mean, I'm just I'm – I'm a defensive guy. So, sure. I mean, I, I, mean, I was part of it. I mean, I, sure. was, I, was, I was there for it. Um, and really put an emphasis on uh, playing good D again to, 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 to try to build for a championship run like this year. Yep. And it was a process, I'll be honest. But, you know, the term restless, you know, you use the term restless. We had five offensive play callers hired in four years, four and a half years. At Montana State, at yes. At Montana State. You know, we've Montana State had six guys play quarterback yep. in, in, his, in his run there. In Jeff Schott's run there, yep. So, you, you know, you just you sit there and you go... And, and we're talking about a team 
that at one point was was one of the highest scoring offenses, the, the the highest led the offense. country in scoring offense yeah, in I mean, 2015. I mean, trust me, it's been it's been it was fun to be a defensive guy in this league because it, whether it was Eastern Gosh. or MSU, I mean, you had some of the most prolific offenses in the league always. You always, know, and and, um, and it was challenging. It was good. I mean, it was it was fun to try to prepare for, but. Hey man, it's an interesting. It's an interesting move. They're, they're, like everything is unique. The timing, the fact that he's going solo, the fact that you've got a group of guys that that were brought there. Yeah, and eight of eight, eight of ten helped make it to a final four run. Right. Um, you know, and again, I'm I'm seeing the names. I mean, there's some good candidates. Yep. Uh, really, really good candidates. Uh, you know, Leon is a smart dude. I mean, he's there, there's some really good people in place over there. Their quarterback club is, I mean, they, they they've got a good quarterback club that, that cares. I mean, both both schools do obviously, but I mean, they're 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 going to make a good hire, whoever it is. Nuana's now Tiger Grant joining me. Coulter Nuana's one two ninety ESPN Missoula statewide SWX Montana Television. You talked about the instability offensively that that uh, was was definitely a a. Uh, it was on the other side of what was a resurgence defensively. Montana State, for the duration of the Big Sky era, basically, was a, a program that hung their hats on their defense. And so much of that comes from the Butte roots, whether you're talking about Jim Sweeney, or Sonny Holland, Sonny Lubick. You know, there was certainly some teams that could score, but even when during the Cliff Heisel days, there was, I mean, so many different head coaches. But they all, they even had defense. in the Ash days, they played good D. They had actually phenomenal really defense D. in the first, the first part right. of the decade, for sure. But... Two-part question. What was the biggest factor when you guys first took that thing over in rebuilding the defense? But then also, one of Choate's famous lines is you get what you emphasize, and it seems like there was such an emphasis put on the defense that maybe then there were some shortcomings offensively as well. Yeah, it, it was... Um I mean, it was a challenge. Just to, you know, just trying to. They, they had so many linebackers at the time, you know. So so you know, and he brought me from here where we run ran basically a, a four three base. Sure. And uh, you know, we got there and instituted a three four base. So you know, p- part of that was interesting to me too because we only ran three four stuff in like our odd packages and you know di- different packages. Sure. It, was, it wasn't our base defense, and so there there was a lot of uh, learning, you know. And and uh, he hired Jared Alexander to be our secondary coach. Gerald leaves after a year, you know. So, um, but again, I think. I think Coach Choate, uh, who's who's a defensive mind. Listen, I've said this on your show. Both these guys love football. They are football coaches. Bobby they could probably Choate coach. Uh, I mean, they could probably coach any number of positions, right? Sure. And um, you know, they're, they're you know, J- Jeff brought uh, this this mindset, and he'd just come from Washington, where Washington had come off, or they were building to. They, they made the Final Four, I think, the year after he left, um, or the Final Four, you know, the playoff. Sure. Um, sure. And and we you know we we started playing pretty darn good defense. I mean you can cherry pick stats uh, all you want, but I think I think we at least brought a level of consistency back to the defense. And then uh, you know unfortunately the offense wasn't always consistent. But but again, you know it, it was Courtney Messingham, Brian Armstrong, Bob Cole, right, Matt Miller, yep, right. I mean who, who, and then and then Justin Newt, U- 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 Justin Newt, who U- 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 hasn't coached in his first game yet, right? You know and so. It's it's kind of like going back to the basketball hour though. Like consistency in coaching is a real thing, for sure. You know, Tr- Trish Binford is. Uh, look at the success she's having right now. Yep, it's one of the last six. Yep. Look at her first four years at Montana State. That was a struggle for sure. 
you know, but but they believed in her. Yep. The, the administration, whoever whoever has the say in hiring these people, believed in them and has given them a shot. Like you and I have talked about Iowa, they're always good. <laughs> they are. Are they a national championship team probably ever? Not right now with Alabama and nope. clubs, but they're always good. They're gonna be playing in the Holiday Bowl at the worst. At the worst. They, yep. they, but they've got consistency at their head coaching position. Yep. Consistency in the staff, and I just think, I don't know, like like. I'm sad for, you know, all the people that I was close to over there because any way you cut it, you kind of have to, like, push reset right now. Yep. And, and, and there's, so much, there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of good things right there. I mean, that facility is going to be gorgeous and, need, yep. and needed. But whoever they hire, I mean, unless they hired from within, it's going to be – there's going to be a whole new level of new. And, you know, I don't, I don't – it'll, it'll either go one way or the other, right? They'll either make that next step, which would be hard because it would be a national championship appearance. Yep. Yep. Or they're, or they're going to take some steps back, you know? So we'll see. I mean, like, like I said, I just, it is what it is. It is it is what it is, man. The consistency part is so uh, paramount as well. You know, I've, I've always told people you can look at the statistical accomplishments and awards of Daenerys McGee's career during his time at Montana State, and to be sure, he's one of the great quarterbacks the league has seen. He was two-time Offensive Player of the Year, one of 14 quarterbacks in the history of college football to throw for 10,000, run for 1,000. He's the all-time leader in... Yards, touchdowns, everything in Montana State. Yep. The number one factor that made Daenerys McGee so amazing is that he played for four offensive coordinators in four years and battled injuries the entire time he was playing. Yep. Th- that's that's an astounding thing that he was able to produce at that level and win Offensive Player of the Year in two different offenses and then be an yep. All-American in an offense, uh, a third offense as well. Right. We got more, more, much more to talk about when it comes to Montana State, the head coaching opening, what it means for Montana State, what it means for the state of Montana, what it means for the Big Sky Conference, and even more after that, it is Nuanez Now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, statewide, SWX Montana Television. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. Welcome back. Nuana is now 1029 ESPN Missoula. Statewide SWX Montana Television. You want to find us online? 1029ESPN.com. You can also find us on all the social medias on Twitter at 1029ESPN or at Skyline Sports MT. You can also hit up SkylineSportsMT.com. Ty Gregory, joining me, Coulter Nuanas, breaking down the opening at Montana State. The head coaching job at Montana State's been open for about 10 days now. My sources are telling me we're going to see a hire uh, by mid to late week, so we'll see. But uh, it's been a fascinating saga to cover. There's been a lot of names in the mix. It's a totally different job than it's ever been before because you're taking over a team where nobody got fired. A guy just left and you got a staff that's intact who knows what's going to happen with that whole group of guys but either way it's a program that is flush with talent they won 11 games a year ago or i guess it'll be two years ago at this point but 2019 season so i I got some some more questions for you on this ty because i know that you were in this program for three years and so because we talked about culture because choate hammered home 
culture, 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 because he wanted this to be this this team that would run through a brick wall for each other, run through a brick wall for the coaches. It seems to me that a lot of the team was based on the attitude and personality, maybe a lot more than the schematics of it all, right? The style. It's way, way more based on playing this physical brand of football and then just trying to pound people. So then when you're talking about hiring a new coach, how important is it to f- find somebody that has a similar message? Or is that important at all? No, I think I think it's a, it's a really good question, and I think it would probably benefit MSU right now. I mean, right now where the program's at, it would, I mean, it, it, to, in my mind, if you got a guy that had some head coaching experience, yep. that's been there and done it, been through been through the highs and lows of being a head football coach, you know, because in, like you and I've talked, Coach Hauk was in my mind, and I worked with him for a long time. He was way different of a head ball coach our last four years here yep. than our than his first three. Right. I'm assuming I, I didn't I didn't work with the staff at, at, in Bozeman. I'm assuming that Jeff might have been a little bit different. Just you know, you, you, there's got to be a learning curve. I mean, again, no I'm question. Ta- talking to a guy who, who never did it, but I'm assuming there's, you, you know, your mind's probably all, always going about wanting to do this, this, and this. And you got, I got to get this done. I got to go see this quarterback club member, and I got, you know, I, I think there's probably a heck of a learning curve. So in my mind, someone with Jeff's personality would probably be good, just especially because of how good of a head coach and staff they have in place on this side of the state. Sure. And you've got this polarizing fig- figure in, in Bobby Houck and he's won more games than anyone in the history. You know, that, that's a lot. It is a lot. And, and, and you've got some legit momentum right now with everything going on in Bozeman and four wins in a row. Yep. That, you know, it, the last thing any, anyone on that side of the state wants to see is that that slip. I mean, eventually that, that mini streak will be broken when whatever year... Um, but man, it, it's 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 a it's going to be an interesting hire just because. And I mentioned to you, even though I mean it was a butt kicking over in Bozeman this year, I still feel like maybe a little bit of momentum is shifting just just because of Coach Hauk and his staff and what they're trying to do, and 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 and, and maybe that's just my opinion. I'm, I I might be wrong, but I do believe. I mean, just just in watching what they've done over here in Missoula in a brief amount of time. I think they're only going to get better, and I think Montana State has the ability to only get better too. They're going to have to. They're going to have to be really, really smart and calculated about who they hire to keep that going. In my mind, what do you, what do you think are the most intriguing parts about this job at Montana State? Well, Bo, like I said, Boston's become an it town in, in the western no part of the country. I mean, it is all, a, all all the kids that are getting recruited there, their families, they can just Google yeah. best places to live, and Bozeman, Montana is going to be on the list, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it it, it is. Both both towns are great towns. I mean, I loved my experience in, in Missoula, Montana. Missoula is a great town. Bozeman is just growing. I mean, the infrastructure of Bozeman is insane. I mean, it's crazy it, it's what's insane. going on over there. And, you know, you're seeing these, like, boutique-style hotels going in and the, these new restaurants coming in during a pandemic, you know. Yeah. I, go, I, I took Jacks up to Big Sky on, on Sunday, and you just sit and you look at some of these houses and the stuff going on. There's so much money coming into that side of the state right now and it's a it's a it's a nice place to live you know like uh, like i said it'd be a nice place for a guy to come raise his family if that's important to you and 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 having a little bit of longevity hopefully with some success that you can stay in that spot because it's it's a good place to live the school is a good school you can recruit a little bit different kind of student athlete there because, sure. because academics are, are, are a big thing over there. I'm not saying they're not here. I'm just, it's it's a, it's a very good institution, and, and and it filters out the recruiting a little bit too, right? Because yeah. because you have one of the premier engineering mm-hmm. schools in the country 
but also you could make the argument that Montana State is the premier engineering school that has a good football program, at least in the West. Yeah. Very few schools that have such a high priority on engineering yeah. also have winning football. So now you can go into out-of-state places and say, hey, son, you got a 32 on your ACTs, and right. you know, I know you're interested in mechanical engineering. Right. Let's pair this. That's kind of like recruiting at Stanford, right? right? It's a little easier to recruit at Stanford only because it's so hard to recruit at Stanford. Totally. Right, because you can only recruit no guys question. that can get into Stanford. Right. It's no, very similar to Montana State. No, it, it's absolutely true, and, and, and I, I do believe in the arms race that is facilities of, of college football. That new facility has got to be appealing to the next guy, you know, because they have their own thing now. You're not, you know, you, you know I, I mean, literally, I could, I, could talk through the, I could talk through the wall for sure to, to Jeff Choate for three years. Right? I mean, <laughs> right. I, I'm just telling you. For sure. You all, you all work on top of each other. The meeting space was, was not good. It was not good. It's just, you know, you know, it's not good. And so for them to have their own facility, just the way these guys put the Champions Center over here, yeah. that, that, that's got to be attractive to, to the next guy. If anything, just to say, you know what, this place is making a commitment to football. We, we want to we keep this thing going by, by looking at it. What were they put in? 15, 16, $17 million facility. Yep, yep. So... Let's talk about the effects on the rest of the, the world at large here because I think that we know this affects Montana State in a variety of ways. It's going to be a crucial hire to try to get somebody in place that can continue the momentum and accompany the institutional momentum that they have. But the the war in the state is omnipresent and never-ending. And I think that Montana, I agree with you, I think that Montana has gotten a little bit of a foothold in terms of gaining some of the momentum back. I think part of that was you had a guy at Montana preceding Bobby Houck and Bob Stitt that just really didn't grasp the magnitude of two, twofold. The passion for football in the state of Montana by every almost everyone that lives here, but more importantly, the complete and utter expectation of excellence that exists at Montana. I mean, it, it, the University of Montana has among the highest expectation level of any fan base and institution in the United States of America, period. I don't think that Bob Stitt understood that, and I think that Bobby Houck not only understands that, but he completely embraces that, and that is one of the keys to trying to get the momentum back when you're talking about the Montana versus Montana State rivalry. I also think that now Montana has a, a chance to weaponize is the wrong word, but use this in recruiting. I think that Bobby Houck has, I mean, he has talked about it on this show. He didn't say names, but he has talked about it on the show that he had opportunities. The phone, the phone has rang since Bobby Houck has been back at Montana, and he did not take the job. And so I think he has, an, I think that the staff has an opportunity to use that in recruiting as well. So you just wonder. It seems like Montana State needs to make a hire to then start putting a plan together to continue to keep the momentum that they already have. Well, you, you, you've known Bobby a long time now. I've known I him have. since I was 16 years old, yep. okay, when he first started recruiting me at, when he was an assistant coach at Colorado. I mean, you tell me, why do you think that he turned X university down that we won't name? I mean, you, you tell me, why, why do you I, I think, think that, he's I here think, still? I think that there's three reasons. I think that Bobby Hawk thinks he has unfinished business. I think that it means more to him to try to win a national championship at his alma mater than any other goal he has in his coaching life. And I don't just think that. He's told us that. He's told sure. us that on the on this show. I think that it means more to him for his coaching life and his coaching legacy to bring a championship back to the University of Montana than anything. I also think that it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to coach your son. Absolutely. And I, his son is a all-Big Sky caliber player right now at Montana. And I think that he loves... He I think he truly loves the state of Montana. I think when he was gone, I think that... 
Um, I think I mean he t- he said that on the show too. He said I miss it every day. I I was ca- every time it was fishing time, I'd call my buddies so I knew we were fishing so I could get jealous and you know what they were catching because I just wanted to be there so bad. So I just think that he has a love for this place, a passion for this place, a dedication to this place, and uh, the dedication of a father wanting to coach his son. I can't agree more. And so listen, having worked for the guy, he doesn't negative recruit. Okay, he's not he, he's not going to talk negatively about the rival. He's, he's probably not sell. Even, he's probably not no. going to really even talk about it. He's going to sell that what they have here, and everything you just named. That's not negative recruiting. That's just facts. Right. It's just, that's just facts. I have unfinished business here. I've been to three national championships and lost all three. That doesn't sit well with me, right? Mm-hmm. I want to win more Big Sky championships the way we used to do quite regularly mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And I love my family more than anything. And my, co- my, my son, I'm getting the opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, to coach my son. But that's not negative recruiting. Those are just facts. And... You know, whether you say that to a, a mom and a grandpa sitting across the table, that's not that's not talking poorly about the Bobcats. That's just saying this is what I believe in. Obviously, obviously, you know, the other the other guy wanted to do something different that he thought could you know elevate his career. He doesn't have to say it. We're just we're just talking fact. And listen, I'm just I'm, I'm a striker guy now, man. I'm just you know, you and I just talking. I mean, <laughs> we're just we're just sitting here talking. I, hey. Both have a lot of good things, man. Both, both schools have a lot of great, great qualities. The, the, the job Jeff did made the rivalry even more fun. No Tru- question. Truly. You know, no question. Because he brought, he brought it back up to now. Yeah. Here we are. The, the, honestly, the, the best thing that ever happened to the University of Montana, but the worst thing that ever happened to the rivalry was the pure and utter domination by the Grizzlies between 1985 and 2002 right. because it turned the rivalry completely ugly. It made it uneven. All of a sudden, now you have big brother, little brother. But now that this this era has now come to a close with Jeff Chubb moving on to yeah. Texas, now we have the fiercest rivalry in all of the FCS, to be sure. One of the fiercest rivalries in college football. But it's backed up not just with passion. It's backed up with results. Since 2002, it's 9-9. to Over the last decade, the Bobcats 6, the Grizzlies 4. Right now, the Bobcats on a four-game winning streak. Now, the semblance of... of Balance in the rivalry is back to where it was in the late 1970s. It hasn't been like that. Right. And, and, and I it's think a good thing, though. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. It is the greatest thing because now the, the, the best spot the Big Sky Conference can be in is if Montana and Montana State play each other, both ranked in the top eight in the country, and a playoff bid and maybe even a Big Sky title is on the line each and every year. We're going to get into that. we got to get out. 1290 ESPN Missoula. Statewide SWX Montana Television. We're going to put a bow on this and talk about what Jeff Choate leaving Montana State means for the rest of the Big Sky Conference. Joining us now, 1029 ESPN Missoula Statewide SWX Montana Television, taking you home on your Monday. Ty Gregorak in studio with me, Coulter Nuanas. If you miss anything in the show, we spent the first hour breaking down basketball and spring football during the Montana basketball slash football hour. And then we've been talking about Jeff Choate and the coaching vacancy at Montana State. Be sure to go check out SkylineSportsMT.com for all your up-to-date news on the coaching search. And Ty, I want to ask you a couple more questions on this uh, opening at Montana State. 
first of all, what sort of ramifications do you think this has around the Big Sky Conference? Well, I I love uh, the coaches in the conference right now. There's a lot of good football coaches. There's a lot of really good football you coaches. Know, and, and, they, and they just lost one. They lost a good football coach. Yep. Um, again, in my mind, until something changed. Now, again, we've got this mini season potentially in the spring. Sure. But I still think all roads run through Ogden, Utah, yep. Bozeman, Montana, yep. Missoula, Montana, yep. and potentially with health and, and, and some good things, Cheney, Washington. That's mm-hmm. just, I don't, I don't see, I know, I know UC Davis and, and Coach Hawk, and I just, the, the, when I think football in the conference, that's what I think. Yep. Okay, and I, and I think, you know, I mean, Bo Baldwin's at Cal Poly. I mean, Bo, Bo Baldwin. You know, he, he, he left Eastern. I get why he left, right? For the, probably the same reasons, in part, why Coach Choate left. Sure. To get that next opportunity. Yep. I need to do this yep. if I really want to do this before, before my career is over. Yep. Uh, and Baldwin also uh, maybe didn't leave as much unfinished business because he left. He won a national championship. He, he won a national championship, but he also left on the heels of the greatest team in the history of that school. Which it, And you've, you know this has, firsthand, having coached Grizz teams that were excellent, that didn't win the very yeah. last game. To me... One of the top five teams in my lifetime of covering the Big Sky Conference, and probably one of the top three teams, and probably the best non-Montana team that I've covered is the 2016 Eastern Washington Eagles. I mean, you had Gage Goober, Cooper Cup, oh. Kendrick Bourne, Jack Hill, Samson Ebicom. I mean, I just named four guys that are starting in the NFL. Oh, I know. <laughs> so like, again, I got to see him up close. Oh, and I mean, but but Eastern. You so Bo, Bo 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 left because he, I think he knew that you weren't going to ever be any better than that. Yeah. No. No. And it's and it's impossible right. to be better than you're that. Right. Honestly. And, and I left Sacks. St- I mean, shame on me. One of the one of the one of the defending champs. I didn't sure. even, even talk. And, and that coach is an excellent ball oh, coach. Troy Taylor's great. He's a he's a good ball coach. And Andy Thompson's one of the best, if not the best, defensive coordinator in the league. And. You know, it, the league is good, is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, I told I told you I got into it with my grandpa because you know he, he was. I'm like, hold on now. There's there's four or five teams in the top ten. You know, uh, you can't tell me that's not a good league, right? Uh, you know, so w- what ramifications does it have? Hey, like I said, they're going to hire a good ball coach. I, I, I don't know who that is, but um, having been through it a couple times now on both sides. Hope he understands what he's getting himself into. Isn't that the truth? You just wonder if there's an opportunity for maybe some uh, a dark horse to slip in. I thought that Portland State coming into this year had a chance to have a breakthrough because Bruce Barnum had a phenomenal year, his first year, with a bunch of, uh, a bunch of recruits that he helped bring in because he was the offensive coordinator, but also the cupboard was stacked when he took over that job. They just needed a new voice. And he gave them that new voice, and they wrote it all the way to the playoffs, and they won yep. two FBS games. But then the reason Portland State's been so down, a multitude of reasons, their, li- their program, they're trying to get it off life support. But more importantly, Barney completely redid their recruiting. He said, we're not going to do this 20 transfers a year thing. We're going to start recruiting high school guys. Well, now they're finally to the point where they have some of those high school guys developed. They have a four-year starter at quarterback. They brought in some pretty – speaking of going away from transfers, they actually brought in a couple of the best transfers in the league at receiver. So you just wonder if there's an opportunity for another team to slip in because right now the big sky's in a spot that's better than it's ever been in terms of four teams getting seated in the playoffs – like they did in 2019. I mean, Coach Choate probably could, could have been considered a dark horse too at the time, right? Sure. I'm assuming they had a lot of. I mean, jobs like these open up now. There's some like dude dudes that have won some no games question. and been around the block now that want these jobs to, to you know to either continue to further their further their career or close out their career. Yep. And 
you, you know, it's like I said, they're, they're going to hire a good ball coach just because I think there's enough coaches out there that go, oh, you're building a new facility. Oh, you're coming off an 11 uh, uh, win semifinal run. Oh, you've got a lot of your roster still intact. Oh, you've got Troy Anderson in place. And, and, it's a and, nice thing to have. And you also have a badass president. You also have yeah. great institutional momentum. No, no, no doubt. There's you a have, lot of good things. I mean, you have great mess hall. I mean, mess hall is the old school way to say. You have great dining facilities, yep. dorms, yep. the town, all of it. And you've got a natural rival. I mean, like, like I, yes. I, mean, I, just, I just said, you know, I hope you know what you're getting yourself into just in this state alone. I mean, it's this. there's nothing short of passion involved. But, you know, it's, it's in, in my mind, you asked me. I, I mean, to me, it would be someone maybe with a little head coaching experience yep. or someone that truly understands a, a true rival like this because it, it, it's just different. It is just different. And, it, and, if, and if it's someone that just has never been in one, I mean, a lot of programs don't have a true natural rival. Right. We do. That's what's so cool about these two places. You know, it's it, 16-year streak, little brother, four-year streak, right? And now, and now they, they, they not only have caught up. I mean, like I said, Bozeman School, President, Town, Institution pro- program. I mean, yeah, it's, there's a lot of great things going. So, you know, that, that guy's got to understand and, and understand the rivalry is a real thing and you got to win those games. Nuwana is now 1029 ESPN Missoula. Go check out SkylineSportsMT.com if you want to see some of the candidates. I'll give you a couple teases here. Some of this has become public because we've reported it, but this is first reported by Parker Gabriel, Lincoln, Lincoln Journal star over in Nebraska. But I was helping him with the scoop. Parker and I used to work together for a long time. Matt Lubick out of the Montana State head coaching search. He was in the mix. He's removed his name. He's staying at Nebraska. A couple other names I can give you that are in the mix. Brett Vegan, who's the offensive coordinator at Wyoming, confirmed Jason McIndoo, offensive line coach for Montana State for 13 years and now at Oklahoma State. Want to see some of the more of the names? Go check out SkylineSportsMT.com. We'll have more for you later on throughout the week. Ty, it's a pleasure, my man. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. That was fun. Change is constant, and nowhere is this truer than with your company's network and network security. With an intelligent SD-WAN solution from Blackfoot Communications, you have a scalable network that quickly connects remote offices and protects your business from downtime. SD-WAN from Blackfoot. For more information, visit blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. A big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Appreciate all our great guests joining us both here and on Nuanas now each and every week. Big Sky Breakdown presented proudly by Blackfoot Communications. And uh, it doesn't really matter if it's basketball season. It doesn't really matter if it's Super Bowl week when there's a coaching search. That's what eats up all our time. It's the thing that uh, I have taken the most pride in honing in my career as a journalist. But also, you know, I think that I got to tell people about the human element of this whole thing. I, I get a lot of comments like, man, you've been working hard on this. Good job, you know, and I appreciate it. But I got to tell you that although it is a lot of phone calls, a lot of texts, and I'm not exaggerating right now, I bet you I've sent 5,000 texts, and I know that I've talked to over 100 people on the phone over the last two weeks. But I'll tell you this, it's phenomenally fun because it makes you realize all the people you're connected to, but also just lets you catch up with a lot of people from your past too, former players, coaches, agents, all that kind of stuff. So it's been a lot of fun, but here nor there, and we've got it tracked at SkylineSportsMT.com. We're expecting an announcement pretty darn soon here. Uh, from Montana State for the replacement for Jeff Choate. And, uh, Brooks, we've hardly talked. We hardly even got you on the record as far as uh, your direct reaction. We talked all about Choate and his potentially leaving for Boise. Then that didn't happen. And then all of a sudden, ghosts in the night. 
Montana State has a head football coach opening, and uh, he's not taking any of his staff with him. So your immediate reaction to Inchote, uh left for Texas a c- couple Fridays ago. Yeah, it's been a, a crazy time. Uh, I think there's a lot of reactions. I think that there's – it touches every – the whole gamut, you know, the whole spectrum of reactions I think this kind of plays into. Shocked, for sure. Not surprised at the same time because I think – Jeff Choate was always destined for quote unquote bigger and better things just by the nature of his person. He's a really gifted coach and a really gifted person. So I always saw him kind of climbing the ladder. I thought Boise state was kind of the the right idea though. We did talk about that being what I thought is not the right move for him at this exact moment, but it was kind of the right level of, of the size of school and the regionality of it and kind of where he's from Idaho and has coached a lot Northwest Texas was out of left field, so there was a lot of shock in that. But you also can't, can't be surprised if someone gets offered um, a high-level coaching position at the University of Texas that they take it. Of course they do. Um, and I'm happy for Jeff Cho because, you know, he did build something pretty cool in Bozeman. Uh, the program has, has been on an upward trajectory. It's gotten better every year. Uh, the, you know, the kids speak so highly of him. Uh, so not, not surprised in that sense that he did get an opportunity. But the University of Texas, you know, we're talking about a top three or four program in the country, you know, maybe not wins wise in the last decade or so, but overall just, you know, one of the most impressive uh, football cultures and football programs in, in the history of college football. So huge opportunity for Jeff Choate, you know, excited for him on that front. Um, but yeah, he's not taking any of his staff, which is really interesting because usually a, I kind of see him as a head coach, you know, through and through, though he's so good at coaching individual, individual positions. Positions. I saw him kind of his next move being a head coaching move and likely would take some of the staff. So the whole staff is intact at Montana State. That makes this coaching search significantly different than the ones we've done in the past. That's the part that is so interesting because you have 10 guys who remain on staff who all deserve to have their jobs. I mean, you have a couple guys who never even coached a game at Montana State and Justin Udy and, and Jimmy Beal. And then you have a whole bunch of other guys that were – uh, part of back-to-back playoff teams. There's not a single guy on the staff besides Byron Hout, Brian Armstrong, and B.J. Robertson that have been there for the full four years. But the rest of the staff, they've been there for back-to-back playoff appearances, including a run to the semifinals. So pretty hard to uh, to say that those guys don't deserve to stay, You know, especially when it's like your alma mater, like Bobby Daly. So uh, you really hope that something gets worked out. But then on the other side of that, how are you going to hire a coach when you tell him, hey, you have to keep – the entire staff. I don't know if that's realistic either. That's never a procedure I've really seen take place either, unless you promote from within and have an interim coach. So uh, I guess there's a whole bunch of ways we can go with this, a whole bunch of places to start. Let's start at the very beginning. Kane Ione was a guy that I think that uh, you, me, everybody else involved at Montana State all thought that was going to be the head coach someday, and it looked like the someday was coming more quickly than we ever expected. And then all of a sudden, Kane Ione gets a different job. And I think that there's a lot of timing that went into this. I think that Kane was uh, probably gearing up to maybe be the interim coach when Choate was on his way out to Boise. When Choate didn't get the Boise job, and maybe Kane was on his way to Boise with Choate as well. Who knows? But when Choate didn't get the Boise job, then all of a sudden the the dominoes fell. The Pete Gwikowski connections to Boise State. The Jeff Choate connections to Boise State. And all of a sudden, Kane Ione has a job to Boise State. But then all of a sudden, Montana State's open. And he could have been involved in the search but 
there's no guarantee that he was going to get the head job at Montana State if they were going to open it up to a national search. And so then all of a sudden the guy that I think a lot of people thought was someday going to be the Bobcat head coach is not. He's the defensive coordinator at Boise State. So, I mean, what, what's your analysis of the K-9-O-N situation? Yeah, I can't, I can't believe Montana State let him get away. Uh, I think it's probably a mistake. Uh, you know, if Kane starts climbing a ladder of being the co-DC at Boise State, the safeties coach, which, you know, it's a position that he's thrived at as well as linebackers, it, he may not come back around. And I, I think right now that would probably be the money where I put my money is that if he starts climbing this and gets into a different coaching tree that doesn't have anything to do with Montana State, then that's kind of where you ride. That's where, where you make the money. And this is, you know, that's also when you say it out loud, it's kind of the hard part of this whole thing. Uh, you know, I understand it deeply and it doesn't bother me really at all, but it is tough to, to say that this is all about money and it's really not about the kids, the players. Uh, you know, Jeff Chen always says the only reason any of us have jobs is the players. The only reason anyone shows up on Saturdays is the players. Well, the players don't get paid. And, and really these guys are making decisions based on money. And can I own, like you say, could you risk being in the coaching search and not get it? Then could you risk sitting around and hoping that the next coach retains you? when you could get double the money and start climbing a ladder at a, at a really cool program in Boise state regionally where, you know, you have some coaches on that staff that you're familiar with, like Matt Miller. Um, and you get, like I say, you get into a different coaching tree. It's hard to blame him for that as well. Um, but I really do think it was probably a mistake for Montana state to not somehow try to slow play him a little bit more. And, and certainly there could have been some aspects that we didn't internally that we didn't weren't a part of. Um, and maybe Kane was just out, but I think that overall, I mean, there really wasn't even like a goodbye party. There really wasn't even a, a big message for the program about losing what many consider the greatest Bobcat of all time. Uh, you know, kind of like you said, in the middle of the night, it's kind of crazy that you wouldn't try harder to retain him. So I, I think it's probably, probably a mistake. You know, I'm happy for Kane. I don't know exactly what his career trajectory is. He's still a really young guy. You know, I've, I've watched Kane coach a lot, a lot for a lot of years and, uh, he is a good coach and he has gotten to be a better coach, but he's still not an elite coach by any means. Um, I think he's got some interesting recruiting tools, um, but over, overall, I think he's still a young guy. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, again, I think it's probably a mistake. What do you think, Colter? Do you think that was a mistake for them? I think time will tell. I just think that it's it's crazy. Every once in a while in sports, you get a situation where somebody has a proclaimed destiny, and it's always crazy to me when that person doesn't fulfill said destiny. When the when the destiny does not go fulfilled, is it's such a weird thing. And I think that I mean, Kane Iona has been Mister Bobcat. He's he's not yet forty, yet he's been with the program for twenty years. He's widely considered the, one of the greatest players of the modern generation, and absolutely one of the greatest players in school history. If they hadn't already retired four numbers, I think he'd have his number retired. But I just don't think you can get away with retiring more than four, else you won't have enough numbers for your team. But uh, you know, I think that it's. A, I think the most unfortunate part of this whole thing to me, and again, I'm very happy for Kane on a personal level for his opportunity. I think it's a big time opportunity, and who knows where his career might lead, and if it does, maybe potentially lead him back to Montana State. But uh, I think that. The saddest part about this is that his departure has gotten completely overshadowed by Choate, and that's the whole, uh, I think the crux of this whole thing is that Jeff Choate is so big in every way 
that he overshadows everything. And I think that's his one of his greatest strengths because that's what makes him such a great leader. But I also think it's one of his greatest weaknesses because it comes with an inherent sense of selfishness as well. And I think that at the end of the day, when you break this down, it's hard to turn down millions of dollars to go to Texas. It's hard to turn down the opportunity to go work for who a guy who just was the offensive coordinator for the greatest offense in the history of college football. But at the same time, you're a dad, Brooks. You know, it, it, I can't. I can't imagine having a conversation with my son that I'm leaving and he's going to stay at Montana State when that was the whole. The whole that's another point of destiny. You're supposed to play for your dad at Montana State, and then it doesn't get to be fulfilled. And I think that's the unfortunate part about the Kane Ion situation is that. Kane has not gotten nearly the shine that he deserves because we've been covering a coaching search. All the media is trying to track what's going on with the football team. We're covering Cat Grizz basketball getting canceled. And in the meantime, I've seen one interview with Kane Ione, and part of that's on us. I mean, I need to reach out to him. Kane's a friend. He's been so good to me, so good to us. But I just think that uh, he didn't get necessarily the send-off that he deserves. Yeah, no, not at all. It's it's pretty unfortunate. I, I, like I, I mentioned it, I don't think it's all on Montana State because, you know, it's kind of like he left them. How much do you have to do to, you know, praise a guy who's not even barely – he's not 40 yet. You know, it's not like we're going to induct him into a Hall of Fame um, as a retired coach or something. Like, you know, he's still fresh and young in his, in his, in his coaching career. So I, I don't know whose role it is. Like you say, it's, it, it partly is on us, but also – you know, what, what, what do we have to ask him? Why did you leave? I mean, he left for more money and, and left for a better opportunity and left for a real job that is secure and, and, and guaranteed um, with a new staff in an exciting place. It's been one of the best programs in college football in the last 15 to 20 years. So, yeah, I, I guess I kind of feel sad for Cade. That, that's Choke. You know, that's Choke. Look at Choke. Uh, if you haven't watched his, his, his goodbye press conference from his home, um, you know, Chope likes himself some show, and that's a good thing. That's kind of what you need in this business. But, um, you know, Chope's, I think his family will stay in Bozeman, and, and Jory will stay on the Cats, and his daughter will stay in high school, and Janet will stay stay around and be bomb, and, and Chope will go off and, and do whatever he does, you know. And parts of that are, are sad, for sure, just because it was a fun ride to, to watch a program that was kind of in shambles and watch Choke break it down even further to the absolute ground bottom and then build it up to be you know, top four team in the country and a really exciting brand of football that we've talked about extensively of, of you know, punching the mouth, play defense, run the football, you know, everything that we've always loved about football. It was, it was a pretty fun ride. So uh, a little bit sad on both sides, but definitely for Kane. Big Sky Breakdown presented by Blackfoot Communications. And that that's the other part about this is right now it's Super Bowl week. Tom Brady's playing in the Super Bowl. I think some people in America are rooting for Tom Brady. Most people in America are rooting against Tom Brady. Our mom always asks me, why is it that you don't like Tom Brady? He's such a a success story. He came from a sixth-round draft pick to become a six-time Super Bowl champion. He's a great competitor, a great leader. He's a winner. Why don't you like him? I think that the number one thing that really comes off is that he lacks authenticity because he lacks vulnerability. And even when he's failed, the triumphs have never been on full display in terms of uh, how much they – are steeped in emotion or how much, you know, the, the failure led to the triumph. It seems as if it's just this robotic marching 
that that is just it doesn't have the the heartfelt it doesn't have the blood in it that we want and I think that's why Jeff Choate from our perspective is one of the great characters from a storytelling perspective that we've ever come across in any form or fashion in all of life Jeff Choate because of how bold and uh, singular he is he is a tragedy and a romance all wrapped up into one and that's what made him so great it's mike kramer is like that too kramer said in america we love to see the hero fall only to get back up only to crawl his way back up to the top of the mountain and i think that was what was so fascinating about choate is when he came in he had such a bold way of wanting to do things and he tore that thing to the ground and there's a lot of people that say well the program was broken it was there's a lot of people that say well the cupboard was bare that's not true they had talent they just need, they needed to revitalize their talent to be sure but they lost their first six big sky games for a whole bunch of reasons that didn't have to do with no talent they lost their first big sky games because they had a guy that was not prepared to be a head coach and he had said he has said this on the record i mean he said it in his last interview he said my first year i was trying to be the offensive coordinator the defensive coordinator the special teams coach and the d-line coach i had to figure out how to not do that but that's why the story the arc of the story was so beautiful because you had this guy who had massive flaws, who recognized those flaws, who told the world about the flaws, and then who fixed the flaws. And Montana State, for all the ways that we could knock them over the last four years, every time we that they had a glaring issue, it seemed as if, even if it wasn't up to the timely matter that we wanted, they would fix it. And I think that was another testament to Choate, his ability to self-scout, be self-aware, and uh, and really get the program back on track. So then that leads me into then what I think is the future here. Because this is a situation where all the coaches besides Choate remain on staff, you have a talented roster flush with premier players led by, of course, Troy Anderson, but you also have Amandre Williams, Chase Benson, John Clark, the transfer from Washington, You know, a bunch of senior linebackers that have played a bunch of football Guys like Michael Jobman, you know, guys like Ty Okada, Tyrell Thomas, you know, on down the line. And then on offense, of course, a, whole, a veteran offensive line led by Lewis Kidd and Taylor Tuiasa Sopo, a stable full of running backs led by Isaiah Fonse. Demarius Hosey, a bunch of receivers who who knows if they I mean they've they've played a lot of football they haven't caught a lot of passes but they've played a lot of football guys like Lance McCutcheon um, and so it seems like they have all of the pieces in place except the leader of the ship the leader of the organization so Brooks in your mind what sort of I mean do they need to try to replicate Choate from a stylistic perspective or what is the ideal hire here for Montana State? That's the you're right. It's the craziest part. I don't think you can stylistically mirror exactly. Choke because no one can. There's a, a, there's nothing like Choke. What what? A lot of times, I don't think that he even has a style. It's it's just what do we got, and that's what we'll do. And he clearly, and yeah, you know, I've spoken about this for the last better part of five years. He can't recruit quarterbacks. It's just it's just a fact. There's just no way around it. We'll see if Matt McKay ever plays, if Matt McKay has any talent. But as far as the quarterback position, they've never really had one, except Troy Anderson, who was first team all league as a linebacker playing quarterback, which has got to be the most nuts thing that ever happened in the Jeff Choate era. But there's plenty of those. That's the fun part about Jeff Choate. I don't think you can mirror the offense. So I don't know what they do with their coaching staff. 
Um, I don't know what they do stylistically. I think that clearly there's no one's going to, there's not, there's no one in the country that you could hire for this job. That's going to want to run the football the same way. I mean, you might want to run the football a ton, especially that first year, but you're going to want to throw the ball because that just what football is, especially in 2021. Choate was not about that period. I mean, of course there's games where Tucker Robing played well and there's games where they threw the ball downfield a couple times, but overall, I mean, everyone's seen this style for the last four years. I don't think that they'll be able to, to do the same style. I don't think they'll be able to run the ball the same amount that they have just in general. There's coaching staffs just won't necessarily want to, and who knows if like Justin Udi stays around. We haven't seen what Udi's offense looks like or what kind of development he can put into a quarterback. I have so many Bobcat people tell me that, you know, if everyone on the staff leaves, the only guy they got to keep is Justin Udi. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why people think that. Um, maybe there's, they know something I don't know. I don't necessarily am not in that camp. Uh, he's a really young guy. I don't see how a new coach doesn't bring a coordinator with them, um, especially if it's a first-time coach or, or, or not. Everyone who wants to be a head coach has their list of guys. If I were a head coach, this is my coordinators, if I could. These, here's my number one, here's my number two. I don't think they're going to come in and just keep the whole staff, but we've heard a lot of internal um, rumblings that that's a big part of this athletic department's goal is to keep a huge chunk of the staff during COVID for player retention, for coaching retention, just in general, with with COVID not you know not kicking people to the curb in such a weird time of, the, of life, all that's very weird. So I, I don't think that they can be the same, and I don't know how you could be the same. Um, as as I said off the top, there, Cho didn't have a style. What did, what do you like to do on offense, Jeff Cho? He doesn't know. I, I don't think he, we're gonna we're gonna run the ball. Oh, okay. That, that's a, a way. That, that is a style of offense, but it's just a more of an element of offense. Um, they run the triple option with usually a single back out of the gun. <laughs> I've never really seen that. I don't think anyone's really seen that. It's not even like a hybrid RPO. It's, it's truly just like the option half the time with a non-running quarterback. I, I don't think that that style is going to come anywhere from any other coaching staff, no matter at Montana State or not. But they have the biggest – portion of the equation figured out right i think this is the thing that gets lost on the people in the stands that are screaming and yelling at the play callers is that all the plays in the world okay if you got the dudes you got the dudes and that's what montana i mean montana state against nau in 2019 nothing was going right it was a foggy cold wet day slippery nobody could throw the ball and nau's kicking the shit out of montana state what does is, what is Choate and, and Matt Miller do? They call everybody in. They say, here's the deal, boys. We're going to just run it straight up their ass. And then they ran the exact same play 23 times in a row. They ran zone read with Travis Johnson playing quarterback and a variety of guys playing running back. And they rallied from down 17 points to win going away. And I've never really seen something like it. But it was like this turning point where they realized, okay, we can make our game plans and all this stuff. We can play the chess match. But when it gets to be nut-cutting time, let's roll. We're just going to pound you. And I think that's where, you know, you can talk about replicating the play calling and stuff like that. I think it's secondary because if you just have a coach that can inspire the guys, they have the personnel where they really can just blow you off the ball and run it down your throat. I mean, I, I've never seen a quote-unquote power run team that averages 6.7 yards per carry and gets at least five gash plays a game. You're talking at least five runs of 20 yards a game every single game. And that's why all of the criticism about them not being able to throw the ball, it, it's it's a little bit 
uh, irrelevant because if you can get seven yards of carry, why would you run the ball or why would you throw the ball? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. But you're talking about one of the in the coaching world, and we're around this all the time. There's a lot of of bravado. There's a lot of fake toughness. Jeff Choate is 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 really tough, like, real tough so in a real way. It doesn't happen all that much. And I mean, I, I, I'm not going to name names, but I could name 15 coaches that we've covered in the Big Sky that act tough that sure ain't tough. There is no one that's going to be able to inspire the same way as Jeff Choate. Could they be inspirational? Could they be good motivators? Yes, they're not going to be like Jeff Choate. It, it, it can't happen. He's the most intense, um, gifted motivator I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> he is. Granted, granted that I haven't been in the SEC. I don't. You know, I don't know what the Ole Miss linebackers coach is, is coaching like. You know, sure. Jeff Choate is is an impressive motivator. So let's just say that they take a notch down next year. I think I'm talking more of like this: the breadth of the next four or five years. Like next year, I think they're going to look almost identical to what they've been looking like and maybe even have a peak with a little bit of new blood, a little bit of new voice. They'll look very similar when Lewis kid, Taylor Tuyasa Sopo, Zach Red, Connor Wood are blowing people off the ball. Isaiah Fonse is one of the most talented running backs in the country. Yes. I think that that's what you'll lean on, but there's just no way that there's going to, a coach is not going to come in and say, maybe we should recruit a quarterback. And if they recruit a quarterback, Maybe we should throw it with that really good quarterback we just recruited since we're a top four team. If you never throw it, you'll never get a quarterback. And if you never get a quarterback, you'll never actually win the whole thing. And that's a big part of what we always talk about is, can you beat Idaho State? Can you get seven yards a game and beat Idaho State on the road? Sure. Congratulations. Can you beat North Dakota State at what they do? I bet you you can't. So I don't know if, if you just want to keep riding that same model. But if you try to beat North Dakota State by punching them in the mouth and running it up their ass, it ain't happening, period. And it, to me, that's what it's about, is can you win a national championship? At Montana, Montana State, sure, the rivalry game is fun. But at the end of the day, you're competing for Big Sky titles and national championships. We're not competing. No one's competing um, at those two schools to go eight and four, and it's all cute and fun at the end of the day. It's a really, really good point. And I'll never forget – when it was the height of the Rob Ash era, and Rob Ash had just won National Coach of the Year, and I had just uh, started working with the Bobcat Football Review and Preview magazine. I believe it was the second issue. And uh, Bill Aberty, our good friend and, and uh, colleague, Montana State Sports Information Director, he set me up with uh, an interview, uh, a sit-down interview with Coach Ash. And I sat in Coach Ash's office, and I interviewed him for about 90 minutes. And it was Filled with intrigue. I know that Rob Ash uh, a lot of times doesn't get remembered in the most glowing light, particularly because of the way his career faded down the stretch. And there was certainly flaws during the Rob Ash era and the Rob Ash uh, tenure, no question. But Rob Ash, in a lot of ways, knows more about football than almost any person that I've ever been around. And that's what happens when you're the head coach of an organization, regardless if it's just a D3 school at Juanita, regardless if it's a non-scholarship FCS school at Drake. Rob Ash was still a head coach for almost 40 years. He, I mean, it's like the old saying goes, he's forgotten more about football than we'll ever know because he just had been the leader of the organization for so long. But I'll never forget sitting in his office and having him break down his entire theories of the chess game that is football. And I asked him, I said, coach, give me your, your balance here. What percentage of winning football games 
is emotion and what percentage of winning football games is execution. And he said, I think that football is 100% an execution game. Emotion can sometimes play a factor, but largely emotion is a distraction. And I think that's the, it's the old saying that we always go back to. Your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. Because on one hand, Rob Ash is right. But on the other hand, he's wrong. And that's why Rob Ash won 75% of his games but lost the rivalry games against Montana and Eastern Washington 14 out of 18 times that he played those schools. And that's where it falls. But then it's on the other side, though, I think Jeff Choate would tell you that winning football games is almost inc- almost exclusively based on emotion and passion and playing for your brother. And I think that while trying to replicate that style will be nearly impossible, I also think that's not necessarily correct either. If it was all about fire and brimstone and running through a brick wall and all that stuff, then Ed Orgeron would have a million national championships. But he doesn't. He has one, and the reason he has one is because he relinquished some control and hired the best staff he possibly could at LSU that could then out-scheme people with the best athletes they got. And then when you marry wanting to run through a brick wall for your head coach with the dynamic scheme and the dynamic strategy, that's when you have brilliance. And I think that's where you know North Dakota State has had um, some great play callers. They also have a great culture. But like North Dakota State, for as physical and tough and hard-nosed as they are, everything that I've been able to observe, and this is from an outside looking in, they certainly have passion and all that, but it's nowhere near – we're going to come together. We're going to win this fight. I mean, that's what Choate was rallying everybody around. And that's why they beat the Grizzlies four years in a row. Because they just turned into a straight street fight. And Choate was just like, we hate these guys. Let's whip their ass. And that's what happens. But I also think then it's impossible to replicate that level of motivation and emotion when you're not playing your rival. And so then when you do play, uh, you know, uh, a North Dakota state or, or whomever it might be, South Dakota state, it's not the same. You, so I guess what I'm saying is that I think that while Choate was so special, it, it is impossible to replicate him. But I also think it's not necessary because you can't and you shouldn't. He's one of the only coaches I've seen that could win 11 games in a season based on having his guys just want it more than the other team. Yeah, it's it's definitely, and I think also, it's definitely true what you're saying. And I also think that you're not going to have 11 wins year in, year out, just because to, to say that you can only get those kind of guys and if those aren't the kind, if they show up and they end up not being that kind of guy, they're out. That can rub some some teams the wrong way over a fifteen year sample size. You know, it's not going to work with every single group. So, not being able to do something different, I think that's probably one of the things that hindered him as a head coach. While, albeit a very young head coach, especially in his career, he's only he's only been a head coach once for a handful of years, and it was a pretty good system that he had but not be able to pivot and do different stuff. I mean, look at what Alabama does on offense now, you know, in the last five, six exactly. years. I mean, it couldn't be more different. And Nick Saban is a tough defensive run the ball. It's Alabama kind of guy, but willing to change because not every group's the same. And sometimes you have to win in different ways. That part, hopefully we'll see. Montana State has so much talent that you could pivot and do something different and be just fine. So I think that's probably what they'll, they'll bank on or rely on, but as of right now, like I say, North Dakota State has about to be a top 10 pick at quarterback. They had a, a third round pick at quarterback, the quarterback before that. They had the number two overall pick at quarterback before that. 
and Montana State is playing on winning a national championship against a team like North Dakota State with no quarterback. Three NFL guys versus nobody. It's a it's a, it's an issue as far as the national level goes. No question. And, and North Dakota State, too, has added multiple NFL-level skill guys, too. I mean, Darius Shepard was the starting part returner for the Green Bay Packers this year. Uh, Christian Watson, the kid that they got now, he's going to be an NFL guy. I mean, he's got phenomenal track times. He's got phenomenal speed. He's got phenomenal size. So uh, North Dakota State's not just three yards in a cloud of dust either. We're gonna. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a break. We gotta get some. Uh, we gotta pay some bills, as the old Dan Levitard used to say. But we'll come back. And we're gonna analyze some of these candidates as well. It is the Big Sky Breakdown, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Change is constant, and nowhere is this truer than with your company's network and network security. With an intelligent SD-WAN solution from Blackfoot Communications, you have a scalable network that quickly connects remote offices and protects your business from downtime. SD-WAN from Blackfoot. For more information, visit blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. Welcome back into the Big Sky Breakdown. Brooks Nuanas, Coulter Nuanas, presented proudly by Blackfoot Communications. A couple more things before we get into the potential candidates for this Montana State head coaching opening. One, Brooks, just the staff that exists right now in Bozeman, they're in a precarious position because all these guys were on a staff that led the team to the Final Four. And uh, by and large, most of them did a good job. And then you got a guy like Justin Udy, who's just been in limbo. He's never coached a game or called a play at the Division One level, let alone at Montana State. So that's a tough spot to be in as the new OC, who might just never even get a chance to call a game as an OC. Jimmy Beal returns to his alma mater. He's done a great job in recruiting, so we actually have been able to see the proof in the pudding in terms of one of Jimmy Beal's positions, but he's also never coached in a game, even though he is now back at his alma mater. And then the rest of the staff, uh, those guys, you got some holdovers from the duration of the Chode era, like Brian Armstrong, the offensive line coach, B.J. Robertson, special teams and director of high school operations, um, and Byron Hout, defensive line coach. But then you also have some guys that have only been there for a little while. Eric Frazier only coached one season at Montana State as the wide receivers coach. Kyle Reisinger has been in the mix, but as far as a full-time position coach, just a couple years there on the staff. And so it's an odd spot for those guys to be in. I think some want to stay. Uh, I don't really have a gauge on the full um, group, and especially some of the guys that maybe we don't know quite as well that haven't been around as as, as long. Um, but it is a it's a weird situation, right? Because the university wants to really press to have those guys keep their jobs, but on the other hand. Uh, it's it's tough to have a, a head coach coming in to not be able to build his own staff and have his own thing. And then the overwhelming truth of it all is that the whole staff was built to be able to be a part of Jeff Choate and what Jeff Choate was all about, and the program was so much about Choate. That's why we wrote the whole narrative of the program about Choate, pictures of Choate all the time. And so I just I have no gauge really on – these guys, a lot of the guys I think are good coaches, but I don't really know how they operate when they don't have this dynamic leader to follow. And I also don't know how they would react if they didn't have a dynamic leader leading them. It's, it's a really good point. I think it's probably, you can't really have worse timing either for all this to happen right now when it's about to be spring ball. No spring football, but it would be spring ball, not a spring football season. So right now, like there, there's not going to be any like major coaching changes on the head coaching level on the national picture 
in the next six months. So if these guys don't retain their job, where do they go? Because there's not a ton of openings on staffs that are already after the fall season, head coaching changes happen and then new coaches come in and staffs are assembled and all of that, that whole system is kind of broken now with, with COVID in the last, the last calendar year of sports. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point as far as the timing goes, as well as, Will these guys get a chance to interview? Um, will these guys – How they, they won't have a spring practice, or, per se, to maybe show their skills on the field. Um, what does that process look like? As I mentioned earlier, most head coaching candidates have a list of assistants that they would hire. Maybe they've never been a head coach, and it's like, well, here's my dream list. And you have five guys at each spot. And all, all this whole coaching tree concept is all about relationships. And as you mentioned, Shote is such a specific style of guy. He brought in a ton of guys that – would maybe not necessarily fit his personality, but would, would listen to him and let him be the guy. Um, so it's not necessarily that there's a bunch of guys that don't have big voices or big saves. Uh, but I think show was such a big part of the program that maybe these guys are, are not used to a more traditional coach that uh, delineates more, um, delineates more tasks to coaches, delineates more opportunities for coaches to get their hands on the program. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting. I, I don't know as far as, the, the, the ties with Montana State as a player, like Jimmy Beal and Bobby Daly, those oftentimes have important roles as, as far as knowing the culture and the history of the program. Um, some of those guys oftentimes get a, a, a better chance than others. Um, but, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see at this time of year. Also, on the same aspect of timing for these coaches that they don't get retained, the new coach who comes in, where is he going to pick from? A lot, a lot of guys are already stable in positions. It's going to be hard to, mess up, to leave those positions to go follow a new head coach and a new opportunity at Montana State. So how, how does the staff assemble regardless for the head coach down and who gets to stay, who gets to go? It's a, I think that'll probably be the most interesting part because players are kind of locked in as far as the, the zero year and the, and the way the timeline goes with, with how the semester is started. There's not going to be a ton of attrition that, in that sense. I think the coaching staff will probably be the most interesting part of who stays and who goes at Montana State. The other interesting part, and I want to phrase this correctly, because Jeff Choate built a player-run program that was built upon everybody being on the same page with each other, loving each other, loving the family element of it. And then he's the overarching high leader, the the dad, so to speak. The, the Dad's the wrong word. The patriarch of the organization. But although Choate is such a player's coach, there was only a few of the guys on staff that had uh, the leeway to really be true players' coaches. I think that a lot of the guys are really well liked. But you know, Coach Ty Ty Gregorak, he's a players' coach, and you heard from him earlier on in this Big Sky breakdown. But he's a guy that has been beloved by his players no matter where he was at Montana or Montana State. He's so good at relating to people, especially young men. But that was a part, that was sort of a rub in the dynamic with Choate because you can't have a coach that's on staff that's more of a player's coach than Choate because then the hierarchy of the entire leadership structure doesn't work. I wonder, though, if the, if there's some guys that are retained, 
that if we just don't really know about it, their abilities to relate to the players on that level, or, or it just hasn't been that apparent. And I'm not saying that there hasn't been those relationships already anyways. I do think that, you know, like the Montana guys, guys like Brian Armstrong and B.J. Robertson, I think that they have great relationships with their players too. But you know what I'm saying? Like the dynamic of there, there was never really allowed to be a guy that was more of a player's coach than Coach Choate because Coach Choate had to be the, the buck stops here with the guy that everybody respected and and uh, looked up to and went to the most. And so you wonder how that changes just the dynamic of the staff as well. And the other thing that's interesting too, like when Rob Ash was let go and uh, three of his assistants were retained, Ken Iona was so branded with the program, so that was not a surprise. Bo Beck was the recruiting coordinator, and the, and the hire happened in December, so you needed to keep Bo Beck around to finish the recruiting class. Uh, but then Michael Petrie then was also there as well as the running backs coach who then became the recruiting coordinator when Bo Beck was sort of forced out. Uh, but the, it's not a coincidence that Jeff Choate had 16 different assistants lead, leave his staff, whether by Choate's decisions their, their own personal decisions or mutual parting of ways. I do think that uh, Jeff Choate was hard to work for, and I think that that's. I think he found a sweet spot this last year of guys that knew how to handle him and knew how he operated. Um, but I, I do think that, that it's not a, a knock or a flaw; it's just a fact. But like when Ash was moving on, you couldn't have guys that knew where the bodies were buried, so to speak. You had to start it all fresh. I think that's part of the reason why Bo Beck, despite his great success as Montana State's defensive line coach, was not retained after spring ball was finished. But that dynamic doesn't exist either because there's not a lot of bodies in the – there's not a lot of hidden bodies. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's not a lot of skeletons yeah, in the it's, closet. It's such a good point. I, I think that's a great perspective is that we haven't really dealt with in the state of Montana in the last you know handful of years. When Bobby Houck left for UNLV in 2009 – he took his staff with him. And then otherwise it's been staffs that, or it's been coaches that have been fired. And when the coach is fired, the staff isn't per se fired, but there's not a lot of carryover. You know, you, you, the head coach got fired for a reason. Cause as you mentioned, the, as the organization, the leaders of the organization, the 10 or 12 adults in the room clearly did not do a good enough job for the head coach to keep his job. The assistants weren't doing a great job in that sense either. So how much, I think we see this with North Dakota State. You know, when a coach moves on, they hire from in, within and they retain so much of the staff because of the success they've had. Well, Montana State has had success. So maybe that does look good for a staff, but there's a lot of new guys and there has been a lot of turnover. So some of the guys on the staff had no part in that success, which will be interesting. That's why I, which I mentioned earlier, the Justin Udi thing um, as an offensive coordinator and people are really interested in him staying around, well, he hasn't really been around the program at all. He's never coached a game at Montana State. So where does that sentiment come from? How does he relay that as a young coach, especially to a, to a new head coach and, you know, in that interview process, which I'm sure all of them will get a chance, no matter what the new head coach's intentions are. Um, but I, I think that's really good perspective of there's not a ton of bodies buried around that place right now because they're at a pretty, they're in a, you know, pretty high level um, program and they've had a lot of success in the last five years. I want to talk about the success overall for the last 20 more than uh, just the Jeff Choate era before we get into some of the guys that could be potentially replacements for Jeff Choate. I think we both agree you're not going to ever find another guy like Choate. 
and that in all the best ways and all the uh, all, I mean he's Jeff Choate is a phenomenal figure. I think we would both agree that he had a very big impact in our lives in terms of just what he would say and the way that we would absorb it. I think he's a great teacher of life lessons. I think he's a phenomenal mentor of young men. And a lot of the the tenets that he lives by, a lot of the sayings that he preaches, I took to heart. I mean, Choate's, Choate's most famous saying is, is live your life how you see yourself, not how others see you. That's always resonated with me. That's such a great saying. He always reminds you, take care of your 20 square feet. That's all you can do. His saying about put your problems in the middle of the table. Everybody, put your problems in the middle of the table. I bet you once you see everybody else's problems, you want yours back. You don't want other people's problems because you don't. You might not know what they're going through. Everybody's going through something. All those were great pieces of perspective that you can use in your life that, that I think are good for the building of, of young men. You know, The art of being a man that he always talked about. It was huge, and I think that that's something that's very lost in our society right now. And I think that's why you see guys that played for Choate really revere and look up to him and then go on to be uh, have elevated maturity when they get done with college. They grew up faster than a lot of guys would, and I think he has a great influence in that. All that said, it's not that he's a flawless coach. In fact, he's a very flawed coach in a lot of different ways. Uh, but I think, and I've said this on Nuanas now frequently, but I want to reiterate the point here. The greatest thing that Jeff Choate ever did was elevate the football program to catch up with the institutional momentum and the community momentum that exists at Montana State and in Bozeman. Jeff Choate sold his vision better than anybody the Bobcats have ever had, and they've had some great preachers of their vision, including Mike Kramer, who's one of the most fun guys to talk to you'll ever meet. But Choate sold the total package of what's great about Bozeman to everybody. He also directly and unwaveringly went after everything that was flawed with the football program and tried to make it better. And a lot in a lot of ways, he did as well. But all that said, the number one thing that he did was he refused to believe the notion that Montana State should take a backseat to anybody, including and especially the University of Montana. That's why Montana State football finally caught up to the momentum that has had Montana State kicking Montana's ass and pretty much every other element of the institution of higher learning. But he also made people forget the success that Montana State has had. That's the, the way he sold himself was, I'm taking over this program. This thing's broken. I'm going to fix it. I'm fixing it. It's getting fixed. Those are all great things. But it made people forget. The Rob Ash era did not end in a romantic fashion. Rob Ash still won three Big Sky titles and went to the playoffs four times in five years. Mike Kramer, his, his tenure went down in flames. But Mike Kramer still beat the Grizzlies three out of four times. He still won three Big Sky Conference championships. He still went to the playoffs three times. So this program has had success ever since 2002. It's not just been four in a row against the Grizzlies. The rivalry is 9-9 since the streak was snapped. The rivalry is 9-9. Montana State won the last decade. They won it 6-4. to four. That's the first time they've won a decade since the 70s. Rob Ash, for all his flaws and not being able to beat the Grizz, he still won in Missoula twice. So it's, I just find it fascinating that, that uh, I think that there's a lot of people out there that are thinking, oh, man, doomsday, we're never going to get another coach like Choate. You're right. You're never going to get a coach like Choate. You never are. But it doesn't mean you're not going to get one that can have as, as much success from a wins and losses perspective. Everything you said is facts, and, and it's, it is a good reminder of, of where Montana State's been. Um, in the last 20 years, and it's, it, it is a high place. And there were times when we started Skyline that 
during the beginning or towards the end of Rob Ash, but there were still times where those teams were amazing to watch. They were talented and dynamic on offense. Defense was interesting, always local playmakers. They had a really good thing going. And the last two years was was just kind of a a fundamental breakdown of at every level, but there has been a ton of success. And I do agree with you that, um, you know, Choate, the other thing that's interesting about Choate, when you talk about some of his flaws is he barely went 500. And granted, he did have a tough first season, as you mentioned, on the top. They, they lost their first six Big Sky games before they beat UC Davis, which he calls, you know, one of the biggest wins in, in his tenure um, in, in that program's history, in that little four-year gap. Um, and then went on to beat Montana that year. But that 0-6 start wasn't pretty. And, you know, he never hung up, never got a ring, never won a conference championship, which, you know, with the kind of success that they've had, you'd assume that that at some point, and maybe it was this team coming up that now he's gone. Maybe this is the timing. Uh, but they did not have tremendous success as far as wins and losses go until this last year. Um, so, yeah, some of those things are, you know, some of the in-game stuff. At times, it, it, you could tell that he was still learning how to be a coach. Um, he had never been the head man. Uh, there were some, some bad timeout calls in, in his second year. There was you know, some mismanagement of game situations. They let some stuff get away from him. They had, uh, some sloppy special teams that first two years, um, which really tightened up and became a, you know, kind of a fixture of, of, of that program. Um, I, think it, I think it is interesting that what he found and, and the narrative that he spun, um, he did it. He had a plan and he executed that plan. And, you know, you can't give nothing but praise for that. Uh, I wish I could have seen it play out for another year or two, just because now I think that there is this DNA that is in the program that is so much choked that what I would worry about for them is the idea of a vacuum, the idea of the power structure having such a vacuum. That how do you fill that vacuum? And if you put a mouse in an elephant's chair, uh, that chair won't rock the same way. And it, that could be such a huge task for a new coach to try to fill those kind of shoes um you know by the time that you're a division one head coach you have a lot of confidence in yourself and in your in your process and you know most coaches have their sayings and their go-tos and the way they talk to the media it's not going to be there this whoever the next head coach is first time um but there still is a lot of expectations knowing anything about jeff cho the last guy when you think about it the last guy that was had that job is now the dc of texas do I have those chops? Can I live up to that? And then you watch a little bit, you do a little bit of research, watch one video of Choate, and you say, God, this guy, whew, this is a lot to live up to. I worry about that vacuum from them. It is. It's such a great point. And it's why if if these guys are all used to winning based on inspiration and intensity, and then there's any sort of dip in that, you wonder how they respond. I do think they have good enough leaders, and I think they have good enough players on the roster that buy into the notion that it's about the name on the front, not the name on the back. It's a player-run program. It's about Montana State. I think there's enough guys that love playing for Montana State no matter who the coach is, and I think that that might be able to carry them, but it will be an interesting factor, especially uh, early on. One last thing before we get into these candidates, too. I think that the other notion is that Jeff Choate recruited better than anybody that's ever played uh, coached at Montana State. Jeff Choate's a recruiting machine. They also needed to be recruiting machines because they out-recruited their roster and they oversigned every single year. They also had as many, if not more, than any team in the entire conference. Guys leave the program in the offseason. Choate never took heat for it whatsoever because he addressed it directly. He never tried to hide it. 
and they were very transparent about it. It's the strategy that everybody should take because it gives you so much more leeway. That said, and again, they have tremendous talent. Troy Anderson is one of the most talented players we've ever covered. Isaiah Fonse is one of the most talented players we've ever covered. Um, they have Travis Johnson, phenomenal athlete. Kevin Cassis, you know, I mean, Mitch Brott. They've had some guys that are really top-level talent. But they also made people forget. Like, they haven't had any linebackers that are as good as Jody Owens or Alex Singleton. They haven't had any defensive tackles that are as good as, as Zach Minter. They haven't had any edge guys as good as Bryce Sturk was that are as good as Caleb Scheibeis or Brad Daly. They haven't had – I mean, I think that Braden Conkle was as good as some of the guys they had at safety during the early Ash years. But, I mean, Jordan Craney's a dude, man. Joel Fuller was a first-team All-League guy two years in a row. Um, they've had – Good players at corner. They haven't had anybody that was as good as Darius Jones, who was a four-year starter, multiple interceptions. And that's and those are just talking about Ash guys. You look at the Kramer guys. I mean, the John Montoyas and John Taylors of the world, the Kane Iones, Roger Coopers, you know, on down the line. And I guess that's the whole thing is that I just hope that Montana State followers really, if Choke taught you anything, it's to remember the history of the place that you're at and also, give yourself credit where credit's due. Montana State's had as many Big Sky defensive MVPs over the last 20 years as any school in the entire conference. They've had some of the premier players in the league for two decades. And so I just think that to say that, that Montana – and the point is, though, it's, it's because the place is great and the program is great. Even all the blips that they've had. There's always going to want to be high-quality football players from around the region and around the country that want to come play in front of 20,000 fans in one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. So the the place and the institution sells itself. And so to think that the recruiting is just going to fall into the trash can, I just don't think that's true. They've always been able to recruit really good guys. Yeah, I totally, I, I totally agree. Um, my one opposition would be that that vacuum that could be created also could be filled by Bobby Houck across the hill. And there is this really interesting element of Choate knowing Montana because he went to college in Montana. He grew up in rural Idaho. He gets the idea of what Montana small town football is and was able to not necessarily dominate the state, but he really did get a lot of really good guys in the state. And it's always going to be so important. Every coach, no matter who they are, is going to stand up there and say, we got to win the state first. Well, right now at Montana State, Athletic Director Leon Costello is about to hire someone that is very likely not attached to Montana at all. And Leon's not a Montana guy either. And where does that gap, what does that recruiting look like if you don't have the connection to Montana right as Bobby Houck enters the scene again um, and in his third year at Montana, focusing so much on Montana? The recruiting element of it will always be interesting because I do agree from around the region and the country, there'll always be kids that come here. They come to Bozeman, they come to Missoula. It's an amazing place to play college football in beautiful towns, lots of fun things to do, great institutions, however you want to say it. But the idea of winning the state of Montana in recruiting is what's going to lead to conference championships. It's what's going to lead to rivalry wins. It's what's going to lead to the health of the program. That element of recruiting is going to be so important for this next head coach and some of the candidates we'll dive into I don't think have a ton of experience necessarily in Montana, which would be really interesting. Well, let's talk about some of those candidates. It is the Big Sky Breakdown presented by Blackfoot Communications. And we're going to make this story on the coaching candidates premium. And I'll have an update that has it a little bit more whittled down a little bit. So I guess we should say we're going to make it not premium. We're going to make it free. 
So, Bradley, first of all, here's the people on the committee. Athletic Director Leon Costello, Terry Least, who's the MSU Vice President uh, of Administration and Finance and sort of the right-hand man for Wadi Cruzado, the president. Kami Bechtolt, who's the Senior Women's Administrator as well as the Compliance Director at MSU. Dan Davies, who's an Associate Athletic Director. Casey Fox, who's the Head of Fundraising, Head of the Bobcat Club uh, for the Athletic Department. George Haynes, who's a faculty athletic rep and the University Athletics Committee. Dennis Erickson, college, hall, college football Hall of Famer, longtime college head coach and also former assistant coach and quarterback at Montana State. Rick Van Cleve, who heads up the quarterback club for uh, MSU. And then seven student athletes, Troy Anderson, Amandre Williams, Lewis Kidd, Chase Benson, Michael Jobin, Taylor Tuiasa Sopo, and Tucker Rovig. The first six I had mentioned are all seniors. Tucker Rovig, a fourth-year junior. And then the coach representative on the committee is Trisha Binford. As far as the timeline of this whole thing, Choate left on Friday. I started hearing from people around the country uh, late Friday night, early Saturday morning. Here's the guys that we know have been in the mix for the duration of this search. First and foremost, we'll start with all the internal people that sort of had uh, just natural connections to the deal. Ty Gregorak's name came up pretty early. I know he had some support from some players because he had been you know, on the staff just less than two years ago. But I can tell you firsthand, uh, just as directly from Ty, uh, he's, he's not really ever been in the mix for the job. Another guy that I think will always put in his name when this job comes open because it's his alma mater and I think it's his dream job eventually down the road is Bobby Daly, the linebackers coach. I talked to Bobby. I said, hey, I'm going to put your name on my list because I think it helps your career out to know that you're – uh, in the mix, and, and Bobby said, I appreciate it. And so Bobby was on there, but I mean, I don't think he has a realistic shot of getting it. I don't think he's really pushing that hard either. I think he just wants to stay on the staff. A name that jumped right away uh, up to me was a guy that a lot of the, the financial supporters of the program wanted, and that's Travis Lulay. Travis Lulay is a, one of the great quarterbacks in program history. He uh, just finished up his playing career at the BC Lions, and he's been uh, working in the front office there up in BC for uh, a little while now, um, but he has no coaching experience whatsoever. He's only been retired for two years. Other guys that were familiar with the program, obviously Kane Ione, but he ended up taking the job at Boise. Roger Cooper, who's the defensive MVP of the Big Sky Conference from Montana State back in 2004. He's the defensive coordinator at Idaho State. I think now that he's not in that top-tier mix, I think he's more angling to maybe become the DC for whoever does get hired. So we'll come back to Roger Cooper. And then the last guy with – program connections that I know threw his name in the hat but never got much traction is Noah Joseph, who was the secondary coach for Rob Ash his first five years and then also a defensive coordinator. A couple of the other names that surfaced that I've been in contact with uh, people in their camps, Mike Riley, who was the head coach at Oregon State and Nebraska. He has since removed his name from the, the list. He went on the record with the Omaha World Herald and said he was not in the mix. And I also have confirmed with people in direct contact with him that he is not in the mix and then the other outside one that was fascinating that we'll get into more of the details on is Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher, longtime NFL coach with the Tennessee Titans uh, and the St. Louis Rams. And he, I guess you could say Houston Oilers turned Tennessee Titans as well as St. Louis turned Los Angeles Rams because he was there moving uh, both franchises. Now in terms of the guys that have more traction, Matt Lubick was offered the job. Parker Gabriel, our good friend and a colleague, from the Lincoln Star Journal over in Lincoln, Nebraska. He helped with this, and he helped confirm that Lubick uh, was offered the job but then turned down the job. Uh, Matt Lubick was the only in-person interview that was conducted so far, uh, at least to our reporting knowledge. 
He was in Bozeman over the weekend. The other guys that are strongly in the mix, Charlie Regal, he has been in the mix since the very beginning. He's the special teams coordinator at Cal. His connection there is Justin Wilcox and Justin Wilcox's connections to both Boise State as well as to Jeff Choate. The other guys' names that are strongly in the mix, Brent Vegan. Brett Vegan is the offensive coordinator at Wyoming, spent some time at North Dakota State. Tim Polasek, he's the offensive line coach at Iowa. He also used to be a offensive coordinator at North Dakota State. Tim Drevno, a longtime Jim Harbaugh disciple. Jim Drevno most recently was the offensive line coach at USC, but he coached at Montana State in the mid-90s for Cliff Heisel and then hooked his wagon to Harbaugh, coached with Harbaugh at San Diego, Stanford, the San Francisco 49ers, and Michigan. Uh, he was recently let go at USC. And then the most familiar name that remains in the mix is Jason McIndoe. Jason McIndoe was the longtime offensive line coach for Montana State for both Mike Kramer and Rob Ash, and he's been at Oklahoma State for the last seven years. His son officially signed with Oklahoma State today, so you wonder if that has an influence on uh, any of the decision-making. So, Brooks, I know that's a lot of names. I don't think we have to talk much about all the guys that are not in it, guys like Mike Riley and, and Roger Cooper and Kane Ione. You know, Noah Joseph and guys like that. But more importantly, the, the guys that are kind of the, the, the top five or six here, Drevno, Polasek, Vegan, Regal, um, and McIndoo, do you feel like there's a leading candidate? All right? it, it, just, it seems like there's a lot of support for these guys from a lot of different factions, but I just think that the size of the committee and the magnitude of the job and the circumstances surrounding the job are all making this a lot more muddy than searches usually are. Yeah, it is. It's a really good list as far as um, the five you just named that are still in it. Of the four or five, if you add Lubick in there, I thought Lubick not the weakest candidate, but was my least favorite choice as far as uh, just his person born in Bozeman and played him. I get a lot of those things, but um, I, I think his his experience is tremendous, but fit-wise, um, I just prefer it at all. The other guys seem much more like coaches to me or future head coaches. Um, the, the OC at Wyoming, is it, is, is it Binion? Vegan, yeah. Vegan. Um, vegan. I really like his resume. I also like some of the stuff I read about him. Um, I like that coaching tree as well. I think that kind of fits Montana State's culture. Um, so I think he's really interesting. The Iowa offensive line coaches, I mean, gosh dang, quite the experience, quite the resume. Uh, if you get a, you know, a guy like that in for an interview, I, I feel like the program, your, your program would be in a pretty good place. Um, so that's really interesting. Drevno is really interesting. Um, another a, a great resume. And I've heard really good things about him from some, some ex-players of his as well as um, read some interesting things about him. It is a good staff, or uh, a good list of, of potential head coaches. I, here's the deal. There's a part of me that thinks at this point of a coaching search, you've only had one coach in four interviews, and he did not decline the job, which I think is interesting in itself. Um, not that they're shooting, not that Montana State's sh- shooting too high here, but what if – all this whole list is guys that aren't interested in the job. But if you've, you know, identified them, they do have some interest in the program, but they really don't have a ton of interest in, in moving, changing jobs. Um, 
I would think that by now there would be more interest on the boot ground level, the boots on the ground, um, than Jeff Fisher and Matt Lindick. And I know Jeff Fisher spent a lot of time in Bozeman. He's been living in Big Sky the last couple of years. I've seen him at several Montana State games. Uh, I talked to him two different times actually because I, I know his son Brandon. I, I played with him for a year at Montana, um, and Brandon is the, is the DC at, at Southern Utah. Um, so recently. Uh, Jeff Fish was at the Southern Utah game a year or two ago. Um, I saw him there. I know he's been in, in and out of Bozeman, chatting with Leon Costello, showed a lot of interest in the job. I think it would be just an amazing hire. You know, I, I clearly just for hilarious and also uh, really interesting uh, personal and professional reasons, I think it would be uh, a pretty darn cool hire. But uh, I mean, right now, how would you kind of tier that, that list, Coulter? How would you kind of say, who's shown the most interest of the candidates. Well, I think that that's an interesting point too. Like you just said, you can't say that they are shooting too high because you want to attract the best candidates you can, but there's some realities right. to the situation here that I think that that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We always, we always forget that these guys are people that they have families. So right. Bozeman, Montana is one of the most expensive places to live in the country right now. The houses right that right now are going to cost you $600,000 at the very least. And the cost of living is astronomical. So if you're a guy like Matt Lubick, who's making half a million dollars base to live in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is significantly cheaper than Bozeman, Montana, how can you possibly justify taking a $300,000 pay cut to also go live in a place that's way more expensive? Sometimes it's just not in the reality of the deal. And then when you're maybe strapped with the fact that the administration's at least at the very least putting heavy pressure on you to maintain the staff, regardless if it's required or not, it's definitely going to be in the mix and it's out there, then that's a, a very pretty interesting thing as well. So, um, you know, I think that the guys with the NDSU ties are ones that they know about the FCS level. So even if they're taking pay cuts to come from where they're at, they might do it because they've always wanted to be head coaches. I think it's very clear, at least if you believe in the history of his resume, that Matt Lubick doesn't really want to be a head coach, at least at this moment in his life. He has been the finalist. He's been a finalist for multiple head coaching jobs, and he's never had a head coaching job. It's not as if he's not well-connected. I mean, he's coached for... Dave Baldwin, Ed Orgeron, Dennis Erickson twice, his own father, Sonny Lubick, I mean, Scott Frost. I mean, he's got David Cutcliffe. He's got so many connections. If the guy wanted to be a head coach, I think he'd be a head coach. And uh, I just I think that that's one of the main reasons why he just removed his name from the mix. I don't think he thinks Montana State's a bad job or any of that. I just think that he he's done this before and it had nothing to do with MSU. And so, uh, you know, you wonder why he's in the mix, why he even spends the time. But also – Maybe he just thought that maybe Montana State could convince him otherwise, and then they didn't. And it may, that probably has nothing to do with MSU. It probably has everything to do with him and, and his current situation. I do think Tim Polasek and Brett Vegan, uh, because they've been at this level, are probably a little bit more intrigued. I also think that Tim Drevno, I mean, let's be frank with this whole thing, it's going to be a lot easier to, to hire a guy who doesn't have a job than it is to be to take a guy that has a job that pays him a bunch of money. So, you know, I think that, you know, Jeff Choate was the anomaly in taking a big pay cut to go from a power five program to be the head coach at Montana State. That's an anomaly. Usually it's the other way around. Usually you're hiring coaches from Drake, like Rob Ash. 
or you're hiring a coach like Bobby Houck, who's already resigned from his current position and wants to come back to his alma mater, or you know you're a, you're promoting from within, or all the, the various ways that these things can happen. It's it's going to be very rare that you see a guy truly step away from a power five coordinator job, the money that comes with it, the exposure that comes with it. And, you know, on the unfortunate part too for Montana state is I think that the upward mobility of head coaches from the FCS level was just put on full display by the guy who just left. If Jeff Choke can't get the Boise state job because he's the Montana state head coach, then it shows you that you need to be a coordinator at the big time level. And I don't think it's a tried and true absolute fact, but I think that there's a lot of people in the industry that think, being at a Power Five is what's going to get you a head coaching job in the FBS, not being a head coach at the FCS level. There's been very few guys from the FCS level that have moved on. I mean, Craig Bull went undefeated for three years in a row, and he got Wyoming. Wyoming's a good job, but it's not, it's not you know, a Power Five cream of the crop top level job. Chris Kleiman went 67-4 and at North Dakota State, and he got Kansas State. Kansas State is a program that has great tradition in its past. Bill Snyder did a great job there. It's a football town in Manhattan, Kansas, but it's still not like you're going to Iowa or Ohio State or Wisconsin. And so I think that it shows that. And so if, you're a, if your ultimate goal is to be an FBS head coach, taking an FCS head coaching job is not the most uh, successful path. Staying in the FBS is the most successful path. Yeah, I agree. With, I agree with all that, and that's what I mean by shooting too high. Is that why? And, and there very well could be. I, I doubt it, but you know, we're, we we've been practicing and, and, and working on coaching searches for you know the better part of a decade and a half. That usually we would hear if there was a a, a more realistic candidate if, uh, per se, and I just don't know why you wouldn't try to include one. You know, get the best pool you can, sure, but also get a big pool that has some people that might actually accept the job uh, and also get some people in, in town. It's been a very interesting process as far as that goes. The Jason McAdoo thing, I do want to uh, note, make a note of, you know, I think clearly a lot of people in Bozeman would love for Jason McAdoo to come back. I mean, he a ton of success at Montana State um, in, in multiple different uh, roles and a ton of, developed a ton of amazing players. Um, you know, some, some NFL guys, some guys that definitely could have and should have played in the NFL. Um, I think his son signing at Oklahoma State is, is really telling because they spend a whole ton of time up in Bozeman um, during the summers. You know, on um, signing day, I saw his kid had a, a, a pit hat on, which is Dane Fletcher's gym here in Bozeman. You know, I mean, they're, they're really tied into Bozeman and they do love it. Um, and I think that if – if Jason McIndoe were to get a chance to be the head coach at Montana State, I don't know if right now is the right time for, for him to do so. Um, he's, he makes a ton of money, you know, 300K plus coach, uh, tight ends and fullbacks, H-backs at Oklahoma State, and his son plays that position. Now he gets a chance to do that. I think it's probably a dream come true for both of them. Um, I'm not saying that that sign's still delivered, but I think his son signing there was is telling. No question is, and I thought that right away. As soon as I, th- I mean, I think that if we, if you know Coach Mack, which we do, he's been dedicated to his son's development as much as any dad, and I think he's a dad first and foremost. And you have to just think that they had the conversation, son. You know, I can make a run at this Montana State job. You can play with me up there, or we can ride it out here and let's see what we can do. And the fact that Luke signed with Oklahoma State today, I do. I agree. That it's telling. So this is the last point I want to make, and then we'll get out because we're already almost two hours with our stuff with Ty Gregorak as well. 
But this is where I think that a lot of these candidates would be just fine if not good. But uh, this is where it comes down to between immediate success and long-term vision. I think if you, I've, or everybody I've heard in the industry talk about Tim Polasek, the offensive line coach at Iowa, say that he's a fiery, intense, super um, – you know, in your face with the, the physical style of football he wants to play. Like, he's the guy that's going to scream at you, let's run it right up their asses. That's what he wants to do. Because of what Montana State's got coming back, I think they could have instant success with a guy like that. But what's the long-term success? Does he know how to handle, you know, keeping the program humming along at a really high level? I have no idea. I have no answer to that. Uh, everything I've heard about Bretton Vegan, he's got the run-first mentality in his offensive DNA, but I've also heard he's, he's not uh, that brash or charismatic or outgoing of a guy. So how does that work in terms of uh, replacing Jeff Choate? Who knows? But Vegan has re- um, recruited and developed a couple of the great quarterbacks, at least talent-wise, that we've seen um, come out of the West for sure. And in the, in the NFL, I mean, Josh Allen and Carson Wentz are both really good. Tim Drevno, uh, everything I've heard about him is that he's a very likable guy. Uh, he coached a lot of people that we know, particularly uh, Mike Person, when Person was for playing for the San Francisco 49ers. So Drevno, I mean, he's been with Jim Harbaugh. He knows the highest level of football and the highest level of the success. He seems like the guy that could take the job the most easily because he's currently unemployed. But that said, um, there's a lot of knocks that he just didn't recruit that well his last couple of years. And, you know, it's always tough when your career hits a peak, a crescendo, like it did when he was the offensive coordinator at Michigan, and then you get fired. It, it, that's always going to come along with uh, criticism, justifiable or not. I do think Mac would be the guy that understands the program the most because he's been in it. But is he ready to be a true head coach? I don't know. From a leadership perspective, definitely logistically, I don't really know. And then that comes back to Charlie Regal. Regal is such an interesting candidate because you have to think that Regal landed on their on the uh, uh, doorstep because either one, Leon Costello and his committee had been watching him, following him, and he was on their list before anybody else. But two, maybe that's a guy that Choate suggested. And when you watch Regal and his press conferences and stuff, he reminds me a lot of Choate. And he has a lot of the same background as Choate too. He was a high school coach. And then he started working his way up the ladder and became a Power 5 special teams coordinator. And so you wonder if maybe that's the guy who fits instantly as a guy who uh, could carry the success both short-term and long-term. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. I expect an uh, uh, announcement before the end of the week. You have to hope so, at least for the players' sake and for the assistant coaches as well. So we'll keep you in the loop. We're going to make this coaching candidate story that we currently have up uh, not not premium. We're going to make it free, and then I'll also keep you updated as we continue to track down uh, more intel on all this stuff. Stay tuned for more Big Sky Breakdowns. It is SkylineSportsMT.com. Big Sky Breakdown, presented by Blackfoot Communications.